Welcome back, Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. I am Withrow. Hutton will be back on Monday. He is on vacation. We hope he's having a great uh, holiday right now. He'll be back with us on Monday. Fun shows throughout the week. Big thanks to everyone uh, who's been a guest on the show, who's filled in, hosting with us. Had a ton of fun. So cheers to the last hour of the week on this show as we head into the weekend. And um, cheers to the weekend also. And I'm not talking about Abel Tesfaye in the show The Idol. Not that weekend. I'm talking about the weekend coming up. And cheers to Michael McHenry, who's been helping us out. The Fort, he's up in Pittsburgh, doing a great job throughout the show today. Michael, we appreciate you. Stop it. You're going to make me blush. Have you had fun? That's always my goal is anyone who ever does anything with me in the show, I want them to leave feeling like, you know, that was was all right. That was was good. I didn't didn't hate it. If I if no, you leave this I, show I didn't saying the last hour, if, uh, that's how much fun I'm having. If you, you, if you leave this show saying I off. didn't hate it, that that's really the impression I want for everyone who tunes in, who hosts with me, who joins as a guest. When you leave and say, you know, that wasn't as painful as I thought it would be, that's usually what we what we want to have happen. When we were at the Super Bowl this year in Arizona, I feel like everyone who came by the outkick table and and hopped on with me and Hutton, they all left saying, you know, didn't hate it. And that's the best that we could ever ask for, Michael, at all times. I love it. That, that, that's the floor. It. That's the floor. I, I'm, I'm going to the ceiling. I've had a blast. You're awesome. And I have a bunch of TV shows I have to watch, including Wham! And I'm expecting a picture in the mail soon of you and Hut. I want you to, at some point over the weekend, um, take a screenshot of you watching Wham! Just Wham! on your TV screen. Mm-hmm. And please post it to your Instagram story or whatever you want to do. Tag me on it, and I will definitely share that post. We got to spread the word about this Wham docu. It's not a docu series. It's an hour and a half. That's it. An hour and a half movie. It's great. It's very fun. Can you sing for it. me if I do that. I mean, you were just talking a minute ago about singing when you wake up. I'm. I'll get maybe a little return of love. We'll get Davey since he's the impressionist. Since he had the mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey impression, we'll get him Nailed to uh, learn the North London George Michael and uh, Andrew blanking on his last name now. Member of Wham. We'll get him to learn that accent and then uh, bring yeah. it to the show. Then maybe he can it. sing it for us. There's <laughs> no complaints. It. No complaints to you, Michael. No complaints with Braves fans right now either. Things are going great. They've got the bulk of their core locked up for the next six or seven seasons. The battery is rocking. Truest Park, rocking. Attendance is up. Television ratings are up. Money is up in the battery before every game. Liberty Media, though, a company that owns a lot of things, not just the Atlanta Braves, they're not as up right now. They've had some issues. They have basically taken the Braves and separated it from the rest of their business. So now the Braves are no longer owned by Liberty Media. It's its own holding company called Atlanta Braves Holdings. Many people believe this is an attempt to sell the team. They're going to take one of their most profitable and best brands separate it from the rest of the business in an attempt to sell it. Now, the last team to sell in Major League Baseball were the New York Mets in 2020. They sold for $2.8 billion to Steve Cohen. If you are a Braves fan, and I know, Michael, you grew up a Braves fan, are you concerned about the possible sell of this team? Or are things in such a good spot right now, it's going to be some rich person or group that comes in to buy it, and you're not as concerned about it? I mean, if you're looking at the Mets and Steve Cohen, how much he loves that team, and he's pouring in 
I mean, so much money to win. Obviously, he hasn't. By the way, I'm a Braves fan. I'd love a Steve Cohen situation. Absolutely, that's what to, I was to buy the Atlanta Braves. If that was the, the if if it was, we talked about Mark Cuban earlier. If it was Mark Cuban or someone that was going to come in and just spin, 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 uh, that's what you want. What you don't want, I don't think it's going to happen now. If you're going to actually buy a major league team in 2023, is to get someone that's going to be a penny pincher when they come to the team. Right? That's the last thing you want. You're exactly right. And it's going to be some group that's going to come together and buy this. Hopefully it's very similar to LA. What they've done out there has just been remarkable. It just played them. They've redone the stadium. They've, they've revamped the entire organization from top to bottom and they're bringing in top tier talent at the major level. But if you're looking at the Braves, they're for sale. You can look at the, the Anaheim angels right now. Obviously they said they're going to sell. They're right above the Atlanta Braves. So whoever comes in is going to buy this team for at least $2.2 billion. Ooh. You talk about Liberty Media, they bought them for $400 million in 07. Gosh. So they're going to make a huge profit. They're probably going to get out of all the shambles they've been in. And whoever buys this has got to have a love. They got to know when they come to Atlanta, they have a standard upheld. I mean, five straight divisional series. They've been consistently good and they have a core that's very, very good. And that battery that you were just talking about, that's been such a success in Atlanta and St. Louis. Now Pittsburgh is actually following suit because it's bringing in so much revenue. I believe it was almost $500 million, maybe almost $600 million last year. So whoever's buying this is buying a gold mine. You just hope that they're also a baseball fan, not just a financial guru trying to catch a little bit of a, a good thing going and, and just screw it up. Cause you want to make sure that they love the game. And I always said the best owners are fans, guys that come in, they're playing fantasy baseball. They just happen to be doing it with a billion dollars. Steve Cohen is a great example, right? You brought him up. He's a fan of the Mets, a fan of baseball, and this is kind of his toy chest. And he's right. spending a lot of money doing it, right? And I'd love that situation for the Braves. Does it matter? I, first part of this. Does it matter if it's a locally owned group, that they have some sort of local tie to the Atlanta Braves or someone who's been a Braves fan? Does that matter to you at all? Should it matter to any fans or teams fans if they're for sale and if someone's going to buy them? I don't think it matters who the group is. I think it's who they surround themselves with. So if you don't bring in guys that are in the area, I mean, why not bring in Bobby Cox? Why not bring in Chipper Jones? Why not bring the guys that live in that area that are around and say, Hey, this is a part of the group. I mean, the fact that LA brought in magic Johnson, I mean, he's not even a baseball guy, right? But he's magic Johnson. He's got a name. He's done a lot for the inner cities. He brought a entirely different fan base. And that's what I would look at is, Hey, who are some guys we can kind of surround this group with? And it doesn't even really matter who's in that group. If you put the right people around them, because you're going to have great names. And all you think of, when you think of Bobby Cox, Chipper Jones, Smoltz, you think about winning and that's what Atlanta wants to see. They want to see more winning. They have that core like they did back when we grew up, Chad. And because they have that, they may rattle off year after year after year, win, win, win. Now here's the kicker for you. What if it's the private investment fund of Saudi Arabia that buys the Atlanta Braves completely because they're going to have the biggest offer and be able to offer whatever they want to get into major professional sports in the United States and own a team? How would Braves fans react to that? Because the spending part of it would not be a problem in that respect, right? But there could be some other issues. I'd be interested to see how Rob Manford responds to that. If they shut it That's down. That's a great point. If, if they let it go through, because I don't know if he wants that yet. You know, we're trying to go worldwide. We're trying to go international in baseball. Does that, 
you know, kind of interrupt their plans and their approach to get into London, to England and, and that Europe country. He doesn't want anybody to get in his way. He, he's doing a lot of different things. They're trying to monopolize the game when it comes to TV and streaming. I don't know if he'd let that happen. So that'd be the most interesting thing. What do you think? I, uh, the Major League Baseball response would be the most interesting part mm-hmm. of it, uh, of how they would handle it. Um, it would be curious to see if suddenly, uh, let's say it's the Braves, would become kind of a villainous type organization because of their ownership to the rest of baseball. Would there be protest outside of the ballpark when they're playing certain games? All of those types of things would be fascinating to watch. I don't know. I don't know what the response would be because, one hand, you're going to have all the finances to buy the players that you want. Um, I, it would be interesting to see the structure. Uh, would they rely on you know baseball people to run the operation? They're just the bank that funds it, essentially, wanting to have success. There's too many layers of questions to answer for me to have a real educated opinion right now of what that would look like. But it would be fascinating, and it would be an enormous story, not just in sports, if that were, in fact, to happen. They already own Newcastle of the English Premier League in soccer. Everything they've gotten involved with is way more international than American baseball, right? It's been Formula One, it's tennis, it's golf, things that are played all over the world, sports that are played all over the world. So this would be very different. But I'm just floating that out there as an eventuality that's going to happen. Someplace, somewhere. The Braves aren't for sale right now, but I think this is a move that many in business believe is being done to position them separate of Liberty Media in order to sell them to the highest bidder. So definitely a story to watch. Ronald Acuna Jr. has been a story to watch since the start of his career. Mentioned it earlier, over 20 home runs, over 40 stolen bases, over 50 RBIs before the All-Star break. First player ever. Truly remarkable, Michael, when you think about the history of Major League Baseball that we're seeing a first right now at the All-Star break. Yeah, look up, look look back to last year. I mean, there was times where he was really struggling. The power wasn't there. The speed kind of looked like it was down coming off the ACL. And he comes back with a huge bang. A lot of times guys come back after an injury. It seems like that first year back, they just run. And they're really, really good. And then they kind of settle. This guy didn't. He wants to win. I got to play against him. The guy's a remarkable talent, but he's not settling. He wants to be better and better and better. It seems like he wants to be the greatest Atlanta Brave of all time, especially when it comes to outfield. I think Andrew Jones, this guy has a chance to surpass him and just continue to go forward. He's just been remarkable all season. Like I said, he's not just a talent. He's not just a physical body. He's also got a really good head on his shoulders, and he's learning the game and learning – the ins and outs of where he can take that next base, where he can get advantage in account. Really cool stuff to see, and I think the best is yet to come, honestly. I mean, he's just getting better and better. If you are the LA Angels and you believe, any part of you believes, you don't have a great shot at re-signing Shohei Otani after the season, do you trade him by the trade deadline to get as much as possible in return, believing that you're probably not going to be the one to land him in whatever sweepstakes happens after this season absolutely yeah i'm getting rid of him as fast as i can i would even think about i don't know about mike trout's contract but i would even look at that you know you kind of look at what the cincinnati reds has has done over the last four or five years and how fast that rebuild has been and nobody really talked about them rebuilding they traded off a bunch of really talented players not to the caliber of mike trout or Otani. what could they get back in return would be remarkable it could completely change their system 
They're probably going to get some major league talent, guys that can walk right into the lineup, and then a one-two prospect. And you're talking about literally putting them at the top of the echelon when it comes to the prospect pool. That changes that system. But they're a team that are on the chopping blocks. That guy is going to sell. So it's interesting to see what happens. I mean, obviously, Otani's probably gone. I think L.A. is going to make a huge play for him in the Dodgers. They went under that tax threshold. They're not paying extra this year. It looks like they're setting themselves up well. And obviously, with Steve Cohen, if he wants Otani, you know he's going to pay for him. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens and who would be willing to trade for him because they're after to give up almost a team, it seems like. Some of the trades I've seen in speculation, there's eight or nine guys on that list, which is just silly to think about. You're going to get eight or nine players Crazy. If you put that in a percentage standpoint, you're going to hit on one. That's the reality. Well, you should hit on more than one. You know, that, you that would be the percentage. You're at least going to yeah. hit on one or two. Some trades stink. Well, and they said, Marino said throughout, the owner of the Angels, that the record in place in the standings will dictate how they handle the trade deadline. They're currently 45 and 44, one game over 500. They're six and a half out. Uh, they're right there in the thick of a uh, wild card, and, and they're in their division race. But realistically, are they going to catch the Rangers and the Astros? Probably not. So I'm kind of with you. I think you got to look at that and be pragmatic about it and say, if we're probably not going to re-sign the guy, let's get rid of him and get as much as possible and start building for the future. I'm 100% with you on that. Um, let's go to the NBA. Damian Lillard, big story there, wanting out, wanting to be traded, asked for a trade from the Portland Trailblazers. And he has a message that he's delivered through his agent to the rest of the league that he's got one destination in mind, and that's in Miami. He wants to play for the Miami Heat. He wants a deal to be worked out there. The Heat don't have a great trade package to give back to the Blazers. This, Michael, is just another example of how players control the NBA. The fact that Damian Lillard is dictating terms to the entire league, other teams wanting to trade with the Blazers, he that want him badly, that he doesn't want to play for. So regardless if that's what's best for the Portland Trailblazers with trade compensation, doesn't matter. Because Damian Lillard has made up his mind he wants to play for the Miami Heat, so everyone else has to figure it out around him. This is a perfect example of where the player dynamic in the NBA in many ways is broken right now. I mean, honestly, Chad, do you not feel like the system created it? They've oh, done yeah. such job branding these players especially on social platforms that they have a voice that a lot of leagues don't have i mean the fact he can go out on social media and about three minutes later it's on every news station possible saying he wants to be a part of the heats organization that puts that organization in a giant pickle they're gonna have to find either a three-team trade or maybe negotiate out of his contract so he can go and sign as a free agent i don't know how they're gonna put this together but that's how much power these players have and i think when things like this happen, ownership realize that. You know, that's why the NBA PA, the NFL PA, the MLB PA, that's why the players are able to hold those groups together is because of the power they have in their voice if they're willing to speak up. Obviously, you got to be really good. He's one of the best players in the league, and that's why he can do this. But yeah, it, it, it's a shame. You know, you want to see him go to a place that, you know, he really fits. I don't know if he fits there theoretically. I mean, you're talking about a team that's very, very good. It's well coached, but is that the best place for him? Is that the best for the trailblazers and the fans and everything else? There's a lot that goes into it, but he's thinking about himself and only himself in this situation. Northwestern head coach, Pat Fitzgerald, of course, alum of the, of the program, well-liked there. 
a crazy story where he's going to get suspended for two games. There was an investigation launched back in January about whether or not hazing took place within the program. And now they come back months later and they say, we have reason to believe hazing has taken place based on 50-plus interviews, but we also don't believe any coach knew about it. But the coaches could have known about it, maybe should have known about it. So what we're going to do is we're going to suspend Coach Fitzgerald for two weeks in the middle of the offseason, but it's going to be two weeks without pay. This is not two weeks in the regular season. He's not missing games. He's missing two weeks in the offseason. Um, kind of a nothing burger from Northwestern, quite frankly, probably to appease the person that complained about hazing. We see this all the time. We'll be back with Marcellus Wiley next on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. We're back on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. I am not Hutton. I'm Chad Withrow. Hutton will be back. On Monday, in studio, 6th and Peabody Studios to be exact. Downtown Nashville with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. Big thanks to Michael McHenry, former Major League Baseball catcher, currently with the Pittsburgh Pirates broadcast team, joining us as a special guest host throughout the day. So big thanks to him. Uh, had a lot of fun so far today. Big thanks to our guest throughout the show, SEC Mike. Michael Bratton joined us. Um, Jack Wilson, former Major League Baseball player, joined us in the first hour as well. A lot of fun. Open the show talking about um, Clay Travis versus Mark Cuban. The Twitter debate heard around the world yesterday. Clay wrote a great piece, you can read it at OutKick, about the demise of the NBA with NBA Finals ratings from 1998 to now. Essentially, the NBA has lost 80% of their audience for the NBA Finals from Jordan's final game with the Bulls in 98 until now with this latest NBA Finals. So he had things to say about that. Mark Cuban came back at Clay and said, we're actually doing very well. We're thriving. Clay said, will you renounce the human rights violations in China? Mark Cuban would not. It escalated from there. I think both scored some points in their debate. I think ultimately Clay wins simply because – Mark Cuban is in an impossible spot to defend his league because the interest is not where it was. And he can say whatever he wants about it, but until Mark Cuban and the rest of the NBA acknowledges issues and tries to find solutions to them, it's not going to improve. So I think it is a damning statement on the NBA that Mark Cuban continues to bury his head in the sand on certain issues around the sport that need to be addressed if they are ever going to move forward and be better. And until they do that, I'm not sure that the league is ever going to get that much better. We're about to get a little bit better, though, because Marcellus Wiley is on with us right now. He's the author of Never Shut Up, a former professional football player. He's an Ivy League man. He's joined us in the past, done a great job on with us right now. Marcellus, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing great, man. Just listen to you guys break it down. What's up, brothers? We are breaking it down for sure. We're about to break it down some more. ESPN broke it down recently. Uh, your former mm-hmm. employer. Um, I'm just going to quickly go through the list of the latest layoffs. Steve Young, Jeff Van Gundy, Max Kellerman, Jalen Rose, Keyshawn Johnson, Matt Hasselbeck, Susie Colbert, Lafonso Ellis, Todd McShay, Ashley Brewer, David Pollock, Gene Wojciechowski. The list goes on and on. Marcellus, these are a lot of people you know that were very good at their jobs. Um, I, we're all trying to figure out what this says about the business, what it says about ESPN, 
I fear that we're not valuing good over clicks right now because a lot of these people are very good. I know a lot of them were making a lot of money too. There's a business decision to be made in all of this as well. But when you see this list of names and the layoffs at ESPN, what is your initial thought, especially having worked at the company? Yeah, um, I had a tremendous stay at ESPN 11 years. Uh, when I left in 2018, great relationships till this day. Love time there, but things have shifted for so many people. Um, my first initial thought was there was no rhyme and no reason to these certain names and individuals being laid off, which let me know that the company overall didn't have the foresight to see what was coming, good, bad, or ugly. Um, it's unfortunate, too, because it's not merit-based. Uh, we're not looking at guys just because of who makes the most. We're not even looking at the person who does the best job. It's just almost like they just threw a bunch of names in the hat and start picking and said, oh, damn, Jeff Van Gundy, that's tough. You know, oh, man, Susie Cobra, oh, man, I love her. All right, that's tough. Because there are some people who stayed that are worse than some of the people that left just being honest. And then there are people who are making more who are there than some of the people that left. So no rhyme or reason. I would say this though, a lot of the things that are occurring in today's sports media landscape didn't even occur when I left ESPN in 2018. To the point when I went to Fox and I was doing the radio and I love doing the radio. I love breaking it down. I didn't love the work hours, but I love the content, right? Yeah. And Because uh, you can say Max what you Kevin want for as long as you want, right? I mean, that's that's why I love this show. You've got a lot more air to, to get out there. That's for sure. Yeah, it's not just top line, surface, headline. It's like you really get into the meat of any issue. And I did it with Max Kellerman. He got the phone call to go to first take. I said, love you, brother. Peace out. Go get that money. Get that opportunity. Um, I did the show with a couple other co-hosts. When I got to FS1, one of the things they were adamant about was not doing a podcast, not doing a radio show. And I wanted to do one. They were like, no, we're paying you to just stay focused on the two-hour TV show, and that's it. Do you know that when 2022 came around for the contract negotiations, one of the first things that came out of their mouth was, hey, you going to do a podcast? And I was like, hey, where did it come from? <laughs> Man, I'm late. I could have been in this pre-pandemic. I could have been Pat McAfee Plus. Like, what the hell am I so late for, man? Yep. So that's just one example of how this landscape has shifted. And you can see everyone. Look, Stephen A. Smith has been working from nine to nine every day, it seems like. Soon we wake up till we go to bed. And he has so many jobs. And now he's added a podcast to it to show you how much that they're trying to figure this thing out. And everyone's trying to check every box. Yeah, no, it's all great points, Marcellus. And, you know, Chris Mad Dog Russo goes on ESPN a lot and has hosted a radio show for years out of New York and now on, on Sirius XM. His claim is that it wasn't ESPN that let Jeff Van Gundy go, that they wanted to keep him. It was the NBA who fired him as a broadcast partner of ESPN. You've been in this game for a long time. You know how leagues can control things with broadcast partners when there's a very mutually beneficial partnership at play, and they can dictate a lot of the coverage at times. So when you hear a story like that, and I feel like Chris Russo would know. He goes on with Stephen A. Smith all the time on ESPN. I don't think he's just saying that, whether it's true or not. Could you buy that being a possibility that a league would come in and say, 
this guy's overly critical of our officiating or whatever it may be. So he will be one of the layoffs and not one of these other guys. Oh, absolutely. I could buy it. Um, without knowing the particulars of this incident and how this all went down, let's just give it a kind of an overall perspective. And I give you this an example. I heard a story of how Stan Van Gundy was in, a, in alignment to hosting their NBA countdown show years ago. And there was a conversation supposedly had with the NBA and ESPN at that time. Uh, I think Bill Simmons mentions this. And he said that that never came to fruition because he was unlikable by the NBA. I also give the, the perspective. Everyone knows that these networks are all in competition for the TV rights of these different leagues, NBA, NFL, especially. And they all have enough money to win the bid. And no one wants to be the first to offer. And no one wants to offer too much. So it, in this competition, an executive broke this down to me because I was asking, why at the Super Bowl is this such a big spectacle? I'm like, why are we spending so much money? Uh, $2 million parties and like, you know, big 90 foot inflatable footballs. I'm like, what is all this about? And he says, simple. When we're going through the TV negotiations, not only do they look at the capital, which they all qualify for, yep. they look at who is going to be the one that sticks out and gains our interest and tries to impress us the most? So every time a network has the Super Bowl coverage, it's important not only to just go out there and show up, but show out. Why do I bring that up? Because if you can impress the league, basically as the commissioner, you get a leg up on everyone else who is just sitting there saying, here's my money, because they all have the money. So when you're sitting there, if you're Adam Silver, you're having brunch at the Beverly Hills Cafe, and you're talking to the ESPN execs, and they're like, yeah, man, we're looking forward to many more years of partnership. And he's like, yeah, I like your broadcast. Sometimes it's a little critical. Sometimes it's a little harsh, you know, the, the Van Gundy especially. But hey, um, look forward to this deal, man. Hopefully you guys stick out and make it happen. You know what you do if you're the ESPN exec? Immediately you look at Van Gundy like... Hey, yep. <laughs> get up out of here, man. Too much at stake. And that's how the game is played. Too much honesty. It's always too much honesty. Marcellus Wiley is our guest right now. He's the author of Never Shut Up, at Marcellus Wiley on Twitter. Mike, you got something? I do. Marcellus, first off, I've looked up to you for a while now. The, the, the character, the merit, the way you stand on your faith, I appreciate you. Keep it up. I, I, I think it's amazing what you've done. I think it's incredible you're out on your own. Keep it up. Love it. Now, with that Thanks. being said, being being in corporate America, seeing how that all works, I feel like there's always been a disconnect from the top to the bottom. They don't talk to the people on the ground, so they make these fires, and these people probably don't have any clue why, right? Like you were just talking about. It's not about merit. It's not about character. They don't talk to you about maybe how you could get better. No exit meeting when you think about your athlete, right? When does that change, and when do they realize that they're always seemingly be a step behind? Right. You tried to start a podcast. I've done the same thing. And sometimes, hey, if you just go talk to the people and I use Solomon in the Bible, he always had the ear of the servant. He always wanted mm. to hear what was going on on the ground to understand what the next move should be, because their perspective can be completely different to the people that are just saying yes to you all the time. So how does that shift? Because I think they miss the fan perspective so bad because they miss the human perspective on the ground. 
Yeah, man. Great conversation. Great question. I, and I frankly don't think it ever changes. Hmm. Um, we serve different interests. Um, when you're a broadcaster, when you are one of the people communicating to the people, um, you're really focused in on your content, your communication, your relationship with your audience. When you're executive, um, not only are you distant from that, but you're looking at people as numbers. And when you start enumerating people, it's becoming bottom line rather than impact, rather than having relationships. So um, I, I give you the example of like an NFL owner. When people know that an NFL owner this is his hobby job. He made money somewhere else to even have the opportunity to own a team. So he flies in on the G6, you know, once a week and just checks in. Hey, general manager, how's the team looking? Looking great. Hey, coach, how we doing? Looking great. We got a good record, blah, blah, blah. All right. Well, how much you need? And, you know, writes the check and then he's out. And he's not shaking the hand of the backup guard. He's not going in there who he's going to need once an injury occurs. He's going to need that guy. He's not going in there saying hello to all 53 of the squad. But we are, when we're broadcasting, when we're on network, we're talking to the people and the people are talking back to us. And people are just so distant when they're executives and they lose sight of the human contact and the human element. That's why being independent is so gratifying. And frankly, on the extremes, it actually is more fulfilling and more rewarding because you're direct to consumer. I I put up a post. I literally can read the thousands of comments. Hmm. You think some executive that w does a show ever goes back and says, so what did the audience think about that show yesterday? He gives a damn. As long as they watched <laughs> it and they got some bartender, you know, some backdrop bar scene ratings, <laughs> they're happy, man. And it's just a different animal when you become a boss versus when you become the broadcaster. So I, I want to go from the broadcast booth down to the clubhouse and how that correlates the same way, Right you can lose a team immediately if you're not willing to go shake that backup guard's hand, if you're not willing to go make sure that, hey, that backup quarterback or even the starting quarterback is okay. Is there a team that stands out to you in that mix that does it a little bit different, maybe a head coach or maybe even some of the assistant coaches that seem to be a family-oriented? I remember growing up, and I think about the 70s uh, Steelers, and I think about the 70s Pittsburgh Pirates. Since I'm here, I'm going to say that. They were family. That was the, that was the motto, right? They talked about we are family. And I feel like that's the hidden gem that creates that winning culture. You can have the best players in the world, but if they don't gel and it starts from the leadership standpoint, who's serving the best and who's loving these guys the best, it doesn't work. Is there anything that stands out when you look at it right now? Yeah, it's interesting you say that because um, one of the reasons I left ESPN way back wasn't because they weren't paying me. Um, I, I certainly love the dollars and cents, but I didn't love the support. You know, and it wasn't even done with malintention. It just was they were so busy doing other things, bigger things in their mind, looking at bottom lines that I was like, I don't feel the support like there's a runway in front of me that they're paying attention to to see how I and the show can grow. Well, I left there. And as soon as I left, despite them making the offer and saying you're fine and we're going to take care of you all that. As soon as I left, the show that I was doing, Sports Nation, canceled. And I was like, I knew it. They didn't really love it. It was on thin ice, you know? And so I think that's what these 20-plus ESPN play, uh, broadcasters have found out the hard way. Um, I would say this, and they have a bad reputation. I don't know why, 
But the Spanos family has always been more than just ownership family. Like even when I was playing as an active charger and to this day, I host their golf tournament. I'm still there for them. We have a great relationship. So the Spanos family, I think, does a tremendous job with their players and community always available. And Jerry Jones, like Jerry Jones will make you feel like you are his brother from another. I mean, whether it's him inviting you Marcellus, on the bus. Marcellus, I'm sorry. And- we got a hard out here for some reason. My apologies. We'll be back with more with Michael McHenry coming up. Thanks so much for joining us. Final segment of this Friday edition of Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. I'm your host, Chad Withrow. Jonathan Hunt will be back on Monday. Michael McHenry with us from Pittsburgh. Michael, Marcellus Wiley's terrific. I hated having to cut him off there. Terrific answers on everything. Uh, great dude and terrific perspective on the media business. On uh, I loved your question about sometimes those up top not listening to the people on the ground about different issues and, and making decisions unilaterally like that. Really great discussion. Uh, good questions by you. Marcellus Wiley, one of the best. I loved his work on ESPN also when he was on there for years. Uh, always been a big fan of his. And pretty cool to see a guy who played his college football at Columbia, of all places, uh, one of the worst programs in the Ivy League historically, have an NFL career the way he did. Really inspirational guy. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, you forge your own path. I mean, with, with his drive and his fortitude, it seems like nothing could stop him. And you're right. He was so good on Sports Nation. He was so good on ESPN. Anything he's ever touched, I feel like it's turned to gold or it's been really, really good. And he's so forthright in his answers. He He's honest. He's thoughtful. I've always looked up to him in the broadcast game, in the TV game. And I think what he's doing now is just remarkable. And I hate that we had to have him go, but man, I could listen to that guy talk all day. Yeah, really, really good. Um, You've got a tutorial video here, Mike, uh, Michael, on how to stand properly for the national anthem. This is uh, through USA Baseball. Um, This is something that the best programs, best coaches, teachers in the country, I noticed they have a uniform way of standing for the anthem. Can you explain this, please? Yes. The guy you're going to see, his name's Butch Chafin. He, he's a part of USA Baseball. He has an incredible story. Talking about his dad was laying underneath in World War II, Nazi Germany soldiers, and they dropped a cigarette butt right on his eye. He didn't move. It burned in. It scarred. So that's his first thought is, if my dad can be in the bunker to stay alive, fight for this flag and get a burn under my eye. You can stand here for two and a half minutes. Look at that flag with all the respect in the world with your head held high because my dad didn't move, man. There was not a pin drop in that room. When he told that story, it went on and on. He, he served when he was 60 years old, I believe, or a little bit older is a remarkable story, but he told us how to, how to stand, put your arm behind your back, hold a, 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 a thing of nickels, put your thumb up, be straightforward. You want to have your, your feet pointed at, I would say one o'clock and 11 o'clock straightforward chin up. And you put your hat actually above your shoulder because your hands on your heart and you don't move. You don't even let the sweat be drop off of you. If you can, you want to be as still as possible and respect that flag. I thought it was remarkable. I've never gone through that before. 
And honestly, I think everyone on the planet, especially in the United States, should learn how to stand for the flag properly and hear a story like that because it will change your perspective in a heartbeat. So go ahead and take it away, guys. I think it's, yeah, this is very important on 4th of July so weekend. Here is that video. I need you to stand up. You're going to take your hand, you're going to put your hand over your heart, and you, if you do it right, your hat's up on your shoulder. And right now, when they hit that first note of that anthem, you put your chin up because you're bigger, better, and better than any other baseball team on the planet. Because we are in the gold medal business. And all week, we're mining for gold. If you're a great team guy, and it ain't fake, you got a shot. You got a shot. This runs deep. This runs deep. You've been standing there for about two and a half minutes. That's the length of the national anthem. You didn't move, you didn't flinch. That's how you do it. Boys, 20 guys in this room will win a gold medal. I promise, I'll promise you we win a gold medal. Got it? Thanks for listening. That is incredible, full stop. And in a time, Michael, where so many people are cynical about the national anthem or the flag or patriotism. That is something to me as a, a lover of American history that will never go out of style. That if you treat the flag and the national anthem with that level of respect and you honor those who have been through hell for us to be a country and to remain a country, that will never go out of style. I don't care what anyone wants to say about flag-loving Americans or Fourth of July celebrations or whatever it may be, that right there will always get to me. And I think that's very important for everyone to understand. And we're talking about a bunch of kids that play baseball that have never served the country. I've, I've never been in the military. But it's important for everyone, not just military members, especially those that never served the military, to have that respect, appreciation, understanding for those that did serve those that paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country, those that continue to serve, and kudos to that gentleman for teaching that to this, to this generation, even if it is in the construct of a baseball team. I love it. It, it was remarkable. And how that all started, we had a gold medal panelist. So everybody that had won a gold or played for a gold got up and spoke and what it meant to them. And every single man that stood up said, the only thing bigger and better than this, I'm sure their wives didn't appreciate this, was the birth of their children. So standing up on that podium, watching their flag being risen to the top and they're looking down at other countries, that meant more to them than just about anything on the planet. I think that's a reminder that, hey, we need to remember that we're very lucky. And the only reason we're that lucky in the United States is because of the freedom that was fought for time and time again throughout history, your history buff. And I think we need to teach that history better. I think we need to speak to the people that have fought for that freedom over and over again. And th that story needs to be spread throughout the country constantly because, man, that just took me back. I got chills listening to Butch speak about it again. I was talking to him yesterday. It's amazing, man. It's an amazing organization, what they're doing. And they're in the gold medal business. I think that's a great way to put it because that's where we should settle at number one when you think about America. And I'll tell you one other thing, Chad, think about this. If Japan beats us, if Chinese type A beats us, who are one and two in the world rankings right now, we're number three. 
they get a national story. They're a national sensation, right? Whether it's 12U, 11U, 15U, 18U, or a college team. Most people don't even know that organization exists. Most people don't even know what I was just doing. We're picking an 18U to go represent the country in Taiwan. The reality of it is we need to make these things bigger, badder, and stronger to understand how big it is. Well said. Amen, brother. That was great. Thanks for bringing that video to us. That was uh, terrific. And I think a good lesson for everyone. We love history. Someone that's going to be in the history books at some point is probably Tom Cruise at this point uh, because the man continues to be an absolute legend on the big screen. And Tom Cruise, recently, he was at his Australian premiere of his latest Mission Impossible movie, the seventh installment of his Mission Impossible franchise. And in a quick interview, he said... Harrison Ford is a legend who's about to be 81 years old, and he just recently starred in the the last movie he will be in of the Indiana Jones series and hinted at the fact that he wants to be in a Mission Impossible movie up until he's 80. Tom Cruise is currently 61 years old. When I saw this and I see the shape that Tom Cruise is still in at 61, Michael, I immediately thought, why stop there? Let's aim aim higher. Let's do these movies for the next 29 years. Let's do this until you're 90. Because that may be uh, how long Tom Cruise is doing movies. And look, all joking aside about the guy, I think I don't know if what where he still stands with Scientology. He doesn't talk about it much anymore. I think that's a weird cult. Um, but I will always respect Tom Cruise for this. He is in an industry that tries to be about a lot more than it actually is. And what the movie industry is, is a conduit to entertain us. And this is a guy who goes all out, balls to the wall, every time to entertain people. He doesn't hide back about it. You know, he doesn't try to do things just to do them, to send a message out or anything. Tom Cruise is in it to go as hard as possible, to make it look as real as possible, to get as many people to movie theater as possible, to make you have a good experience, to get you to enjoy a two to two and a half hour movie as much as you can. And I'll forever respect the guy for that reason professionally because he gives it his all every single time. There's no doubting that. And now he's saying he may be doing that until he's 80. I love it. You you nailed it. I respect him as well. He's obsessed with what he does. And to be honest, a lot of people talk about retirement. They work to retire and then they can't travel. This guy knows what he loves. He wants to leave a mark and a legacy for himself and his children. Hey, listen. I respect him through and through for who he is and what he does on the movie screen. He brings absolute fire almost every single time he puts out a movie. And I hope at 80, he's still doing his stunts. I mean, that's the reality. Harrison Ford. I mean, he produces, he directs, he writes. All these guys are so talented. If they can do it for a little bit longer, I think the world's better for it. No, I, I, I completely agree. And uh, it's, it's one of those yesterday we were here at six and Peabody, the actor, Dennis Quaid, you know him from the rookie. I'm sure. <laughs> many other things. Um, he was here for a commercial shoot and had a chance to, to meet him and see him in person. And that was incredibly cool. I, I tell everyone, going to the Super Bowl year after year and, and doing interviews is awesome, but there are not many people in sports that would make me be in awe of meeting them or hanging out with them. But for me, it's movies. like People in entertainment. I, I remember interviewing Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad at one Super Bowl in New York and thinking, I just watched this entire series. And now meeting him in person and interviewing him and asking him questions 
was such a cool experience. I don't know that there's a sports figure now because I've been around it for so long that would give me that same feeling. But meeting Dennis Quaid, I'm immediately thinking, now what would it be like to talk to Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise or Leonardo DiCaprio in person and get a chance to meet them and interview them? Pretty cool. I, I think there's something, you know, we're in these summer months right now. There's still something pretty special about the actual American movie star. That's a dying breed. Tom Cruise is an American movie star. He puts a movie out, people are going to go see it. He goes all in every time. I, I respect him for it. I mean, so well said. I mean, that's the reality. I mean, we're around sports. Maybe we take it for granted a little bit, but, you know, you see an actor, you see someone that, you know, maybe does something that you just kind of marvel at. Like, how do they do that? I would say I'm like that with uh, musicians. If I met Justin Timberlake, I'd be in awe because I've watched him do just about everything you could possibly do with an instrument. I mean, the dude is just remarkably talented. I can't sing. I can carry a beat. I love making and mixing things together, but what he does is on a whole nother level. So I'm like, wow, that dude's just like a rock star. He's kind of like a God uh, sort when it comes to the music industry. And I'd be in awe. So you're exactly right. Sometimes the industry we're in, we kind of get so wrapped up in it. We don't realize some of the people we meet, but you get outside of it and people you really look up to that just put you in awe. Yeah, I'm like a little kid, too. The way you feel about Justin Timberlake is the way I feel about the surviving member of Wham, if I had ever exactly had a chance right. to meet him. You know you what you got to do this weekend steps. now, right? Right, Michael? You got to watch the Wham documentary. That's, that's all I ask out of you this weekend. Done. Done. Absolutely done. Hey, this has been a ton of fun. Um, I, I really appreciate you filling in, hosting with us today. Um, I know you and Hutton know each other longer going back, but I, I, I've enjoyed getting to know you through the show and appreciate you helping out. It, it's been a lot of fun. It's a good chance also to talk some Major League Baseball as we get ready to go into the All-Star break. Crazy how the Major League Baseball season seemingly flies by, but also takes an eternity to get through, right? Like, that's the way I feel every year at the All-Star break. Isn't that the truth? And you can see it on the guys' faces, the coaches, the players. About at this point, they look like they've ran ragged a little bit, but that re-energizing with the home run derby, the All-Star break, going home, spend a little time at home for guys that didn't make it. It, it kind of puts you back in that baseball mindset. And then you have all those other sports kind of coming along in fashion. So it, it really runs a really cool course. That's why people ask all the time, should it be shorter? I said, no, I mean, it, it's the America's pastime. Let's keep it as genuine and as good as possible. Cause it's so wholesome. There's something about the uniqueness of baseball and mm -hmm. the marathon nature of the season. I'm, I'm with you that you watch it and it's 162 games and whatever happens one night, it can be a race the next night, right? That's, that's the cool part about it. Well, it was terrible tonight, but guess what? Got to come back tomorrow and play the next game, and it might be completely different and a total opposite result. Great result today with Michael McHenry, guest co-hosting with us. Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate you. Man, I'm humbled and honored to be able to do it. I, I've loved getting to know you as well, and I know I know Hut a little bit better when we came in, but I feel like I know you, and anytime you need me, I'm here. Just consider me an extra teammate because this was an absolute blast and you guys do it the right way. Cheers, brother. Here's to Cervezas over the weekend. Hot Mike's going nowhere. We'll be back on Monday. Hutton will be back with us. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>